In this bonus episode of Jailhouse Journals, a man savagely kills two women and records the murders onto an SD card. When the SD card is found on the ground, his accent totally gives him away. Get ready, because this week, we have a crazy case requested by one of our very own journalers. Hi everyone, Tori here, and welcome back to Jailhouse Journals. This week, we're doing things a little differently. I had a case requested by one of our fellow journalers, and that is what we're going to go over this week. I am so excited to talk about this case with all of you. It is going to be a little different, though, because this is a bonus episode. We are not going to go over a prisoner who has a pen pal site. But either way, I hope you all enjoy this case as much as I've enjoyed researching it and as much as I enjoy telling it to you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this bonus Jailhouse Journal. Just a couple things before we dive into this bonus episode. Please, everyone, rate and review the show. Giving us a rating or a review really, really helps the show's success. So please head on over to Apple and give us a review. We really appreciate it. And with that said, I want to make everyone aware that this is a very, very graphic and could potentially be upsetting case that we're about to talk about today. So please buckle up because it is going to be a wild ride. Today, we are talking about Brian Stephen Smith, or the murders that are more commonly known as the SD card murders. So let's meet the main people we will be talking about today. First, there is Brian Stephen Smith, and in the time of our case, he is 48. Kathleen J. Henry, at the time of the case, she was 30, and Veronica Abuchuk, and at the time of the case, she was 52. A little bit more about Brian Stephen Smith. He was born in South Africa and moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 2014. He was born in the Eastern Cape, which is on the very eastern side of South Africa or on the eastern side of the most southern tip of Africa, and he is from Queenstown. He went to Queens College and was self-employed and also served in the Army. He is married to a U.S. citizen, and he became a naturalized citizen in September 2019, and he and his wife live in Anchorage, Alaska. When Brian was quite young, his father died, but he was always known to be very quiet. All of his friends describe him as quiet, meek, kind, and not quick to anger. And he was also described as being loved by all. However, Brian was also quite outspoken about apartheid, which was the legal segregation of races in South Africa, 
and it was ended through the leadership and protests by Nelson Mandela between 1990 and 1993. Brian was noted posting racist statements on his Facebook and commenting racist statements about people of other races other than white. So let's go over just a very small history lesson on South Africa. So humans have inhabited South Africa for millions of years. So fast forward a few million years to 1652. And this was when the first British settlers arrived in Southern Africa. They were a part of a very well-known establishment called the Dutch East India Company, which was a massive Dutch trading company founded in the present-day Netherlands. The Dutch East Trading Company had a trading monopoly in the areas between the Cape of Good Hope and the Straits of Magellan. And the company was a huge resource for the Dutch in defeating the British fleet and Portuguese in the East Indies. The Dutch East Trading Company, however, came to an end in 1799. In 1806, Britain regained control of the Cape, and slavery was abolished in 1838, granting many races political rights. However, everything changed in 1867 when gold, diamonds, and other precious minerals were discovered in southern Africa. From this discovery, the Union of South Africa was formed, which was basically a whites-only union, and it kept black Africans from being in positions of political power. And in 1921, the African National Congress was formed to protest black Africans from being excluded from political positions. In 1948, the Pro-Africaner National Party, or the ANP, came into power and introduced the idea of apartheid. Soon the government started to take even more drastic measures, including separating South Africa into ethnic nations, which would basically remove all other races from white areas. In the 1950s, the Defiance Campaign began having a larger voice and everything came to a head when in March of 1960, 69 Pan-Africanist Congress demonstrators were killed. After this incident, the government set a detention without trial law into place, and almost all protesters either went into hiding or were arrested. However, in 1976, the youth in schools started protesting apartheid. The protests became so large and influential that in 1980, the government started removing some apartheid restrictions. However, people continued to protest against the laws still in place. In 1994, apartheid was ended and the first democratic election was held, in which Nelson Mandela was elected as president. Okay, so with that small brief history lesson to help you understand white power and racism in South Africa, let's take a look at some of Brian's views which were found on his Facebook page. Brian was quoted posting on his Facebook, quote, Please keep sending money to the blacks in South Africa so they can buy soap to wash the blood off their hands. 
the black Africans are only this blatant about their racism towards whites because we have these bleeding hearts, whites who feel sorry for these savages, end quote. He was also quoted responding to a question about whether all white people assumed that black people were criminals by saying, and I quote, white people don't assume it. Everyone assumes it when they look at police crime statistics. Wherever black people go in the world, there is an immediate rise in crime. It is a statistical fact that blacks are 600% more likely to violate the law, end quote. However, Brian does not have any previous criminal history in either South Africa or Alaska prior to 2019. And now a little bit about Kathleen Henry. She was an indigenous woman from Alaska and only 30 years old. She posted quite often on Facebook, and in 2012, she wrote that she was working on getting her life straight and had made progress by getting her GED. She was known as a strong woman with a strong spirit who believed in herself and her future. She was struggling with homelessness. However, she was very proud of how she was able to overcome. She posted on Facebook saying, and I quote, I love myself and I like others equally. I got to fly because I am light as a feather and have fun while I can like enjoy life, end quote. In 2012, Kathleen got her GED and was extremely proud of herself. She wrote many times about it and posted, I'm a GED graduate since October 2nd, 2012, and have my diploma out of the way. I was 23, going on 24. When Kathleen was only 14, she dropped out of school. However, nine years later, she worked hard to achieve her GED to better herself and achieve her goals. And a little bit about Veronica Abuchuk. She was also an indigenous woman from Alaska. She had four children before she became homeless, which was actually a lifestyle that she embraced. She is described as being full of life and as a very sweet lady. Veronica was known to love her kids and she was loved by everyone. Tragically, Veronica's sister was killed in 2005 after being found under a park bench being extremely beaten. And with that introduction, let's dive right in to what is known as the SD card murders. On September 30th, a little after 4 p.m., a woman who was walking through a residential area in Alaska saw an SD card on the ground. She picked it up and noticed it was labeled as Homicide at Midtown Marriott. She immediately alerted the Anchorage Police Department, and it contained 39 images and 12 videos of a very brutal and gruesome scene. The police found evidence of a horrifying murder on the SD card, and after determining the videos were not staged, they leaped right into action. They went to the Marriott Hotel, downtown Anchorage, and realized the carpet and ceiling in the hotel directly matched the carpet from the images. The voice on the film was also very specific, 
as they noticed a British-like accent coming from the man behind the murder. Investigators matched the voice to Brian Smith, a man from South Africa who had lived in Anchorage for about five years. On Tuesday, October 8th, they arrested Brian and obtained a search warrant for his phone. Using the new information they had, they started piecing together a terrifying and gory story. The victim in the video was Kathleen Henry. She was seen in the video scratching the man's wrists and fighting back trying to save her life. Throughout multiple videos, they saw Brian strangling Kathleen and then stopping to allow her to catch her breath. Kathleen was observed on the videos, gasping for air and trying to remain alive. Brian was seen raping, beating, and strangling Kathleen throughout the dozens of images and videos on the SD card and his phone. She was shown naked, struggling to breathe, and trying to fight back, while Brian continued to strangle her and laugh as he did so. He is heard yelling at her to just die and tell her his hands were getting tired from strangling her. And then, Kathleen was killed from a final stomp from Brian's right foot onto her throat. The first photos were time-stamped from September 4th, from very early in the day. They showed Kathleen lying on the floor and badly beaten. Later, the photos show Brian wrapping Kathleen's body in a white sheet and loading it onto a luggage cart. He took the luggage cart to the parking lot and threw Kathleen's body into the back of the truck. The last photos that the police saw were from September 6th, which were of Kathleen's body face down in the back of a black pickup truck. It was determined that Brian was the one who filmed the footage, not another person. On October 2nd, six days before Brian's arrest, Kathleen's body was found near Seaward Highway. When detectives looked into Brian's phone further, they discovered his phone pinged at the exact location of where Kathleen's body was located. The photo of the black pickup truck matched Brian's truck, and the photo also depicted a small portion of the license plate, which also matched Brian's license plate. Brian was brought in for questioning when he admitted to the murder of not only Kathleen Henry, but also Veronica Abuchuk. Veronica Abuchuk was reported missing in February 2019, after her family said they had not seen her since July. He stated that he had killed Veronica between 2017 and 2018 by shooting her in the head. He gave the location of her body, which was near Anchorage Highway, and detectives recovered her remains and found a single gunshot through her skull. A judge set Brian's bail at $750,000 and appointed a public defender to represent him. And after the second murder was linked to Brian, the bail was raised to $2 million. Brian was un- indicted on 13 counts, including one count of first-degree murder, two counts of second-degree murder, two counts of second-degree sexual assault, 
and three counts of tampering with physical evidence. On February 24, 2020, a discovery hearing was held for Brian Smith. However, it was put on hold when the judge approved a request for 60 days to review the casework from the defense. The hearing was therefore rescheduled for April. Alaska does not have the death penalty. Therefore, Brian faces at least 99 years if found guilty. It appears that Alaska has opened their courts back up. They opened on April 3rd from a break due to COVID-19. So be on the lookout because we should soon have more updates on Brian Stephen Smith and the SD card murder. Okay, journalers, this entry is not over yet because with this case is extremely crucial to talk about something extremely important. There is a major and tragic injustice happening all over the United States. Crime against Indigenous women is both greatly underreported and extremely high in the country. According to the National Crime Information Center, in 2016, there were 5,712 reports of missing American Indian and Alaska Native women and girls. However, the U.S. Department of Justice's Federal Missing Persons Database only logged 116 cases. Kendra Kloster is the Executive Director of Native Peoples Action. She states that there is a crisis in the U.S. with the large numbers of violence against Indigenous women. There are many reasons for the lack in reports against Indigenous women. One of these reasons is that there is a misunderstanding about the violence that Indigenous women face. Most American Indian and Alaskan Native people live in urban areas due to forced relocation due to the 1950s federal relocation policies, barriers to achieve a quality education, employment, and housing opportunities. The majority of media coverage involving violence against Native people are focused on violence on reservations. However, the violence taking place in urban areas is grossly underreported. This biased coverage does not allow for people to be thoroughly informed about the violence taking place. It also allows for stereotypes to form about both the people and the atmosphere of Native people on reservations as being violent. In addition to the media underreporting this violence, 25% of news outlets that covered a case of violence against Native people used hateful language in at least 50% of the cases covered. Media outlets commonly attribute the violence against Native people to sex work and domestic violence. However, those claims are not true or accurate. On top of media coverage either using hateful language or involving wrongful stereotypes, the majority of violent crimes against Native people are not covered at all According to the Urban Indian Health Institute, more than 95% of the cases looked at in 2016 were not given any media coverage at all. And 13% of the agencies surveyed 
charged a fee for accessing the data regarding violence against Native people. To access the re records needed, it would cost the Urban Indian Health Institute $4,464 when their budget is only $68. Due to not having appropriate funding to obtain the correct records, the UIHI struggles to fight the battle against violence against Native people. Native People's Action works on bringing communities and areas that have high reported cases of violence against Native people by holding healing circles to talk about families of victims, stories, and information. They also work to get victims' stories shared and reported to help them be counted. If violence against American Indian and Alaska Native women and girls continues to not be reported, women and girls will continue to go missing. For more information about this, go to the Urban Indian Health Institute's website, which I will put in the episode's description. Please share this episode with friends and family. Post it on your social media and use the hashtag MMIW, which is the hashtag that represents missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Thank you all for your help with this issue. It is truly a crisis that must be handled. With each person showing support, we can help change the world and bring justice to the victims of these crimes. Okay, and with that, journalers, let's go over our lesson learned. For this bonus episode, we will actually have two lessons learned. First, don't film a murder and put it on an SD card. And second, there is a massive crisis in the United States against Native women, and we must show support to help end this injustice. Okay, journalers, that is the end of our bonus episode for today. Thank you so much for all of your support. Continue to share the podcast, and please go on to Apple and give us a review. And we'll talk soon.